The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. Thanks for listening. There's been a lot of focus on President Biden's interview on 60 Minutes Sunday, and certainly there was a lot of news that came out of that. But to me, the biggest piece of news that came out of that was President Biden's admission that the COVID pandemic is over. And that goes that goes hand in hand with what we've heard from the CDC about relaxed regulations. And that goes hand in hand what we've seen about uh, doing away with the mask requirement in restaurants, doing away with the vaccine requirements in restaurants. Well, there's one place where the pandemic is still very much alive. That is in schools and in the municipal workforce. The New York Post reported over the weekend, the city Department of Education has axed another eight. 850 teachers and classroom aides, bringing the total to nearly 2,000 school employees fired for failure to comply with a vaccine mandate, which is increasingly being struck down in court. About 1,300 DOE employees who took a year's unpaid leave with benefits agreed to show proof of COVID vaccination by September 5th or be deemed to have voluntarily resigned. Of those staffers, 450 got a shot by the deadline and are returning to their prior schools or work locations. The 850 let go makes roughly 1,950 DOE staffers terminated since the vaccine mandate took effect on October 29th, 2021. I got to say, this is absolute madness. Mayor Adams needs to lift the vaccine mandate pronto. Now, I'm vaccinated. I got vaccinated because... That was my choice. That's what I wanted to do. Now that other cities and states are lifting these vaccination requirements, the mayor ought to do the same thing and give these workers back their jobs. The CDC has relaxed their guidelines. Other cities and states have dropped their mandates, and New York ought to do the same thing. To force these people... Many hardworking teachers and other members of the municipal workforce to lose their job. I don't understand what purpose it serves. They ought to fix this. In my view, they ought to fix this pronto. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. This is kind of a cool story that I want to share with you for no other reason other than it's interesting. A Palestinian farmer was planting a new olive tree when his shovel hit a hard object. He had apparently stumbled onto an archaeological treasure. The man who carefully dug out the area for three months discovered an ornate Byzantine-era mosaic that experts say is one of the greatest archaeological treasures ever found in Gaza. The floor boasts 17 iconographies of beasts and birds and is very well-preserved. There's a quote from René Elter, an archaeologist from the French Biblical and Archaeological School of Jerusalem, who said, These are the most beautiful mosaic floors discovered in Gaza, both in terms of the quality of the graphic representation and the complexity of the geometry. The mosaic is believed to be from a time between the 5th and 7th centuries. How cool is that? I, I, this all happened last spring, by the way. 
And uh, this is a discovery that has set off excitement among archaeologists and the territory's Hamas rulers are planning a major announcement in the coming days about this. But it's also drawing calls for better protection of Gaza's antiquities, which is a fragile collection of sites threatened by a lack of awareness and resources, as well as the constant risk of conflict between Israel and local Palestinian militants. Now, this mosaic was uncovered just a half a mile from the Israeli border. I guess the reason that I wanted to talk about it was twofold. One, whenever I would dig for stuff as a kid, I was always dream of discovering something like this. My uncle, who's still a big metal detector who goes on these treasure hunts, he still dreams of discovering stuff like this all the time. I guess the first lesson is keep digging. You never know what you're going to find. And the other thing is, it's an indication of how pointless war is. Aside from the cost of it in terms of finances. Aside from the pain and the human cost in terms of death and blood and destruction, there's a very real risk of portions of human history being wiped out by conflict. And this applies not just to the Israeli-Palestinian situation, but to Ukraine and to Yemen, wherever there's conflict in the world. Just my two cents. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Well, it's time for me to give away $50 worth of free advice. If you are looking to run for office, presumably it's because you like your community and want to work to improve it or preserve it or something. If you are planning to run for office one day, don't get caught on video trashing your community. This little public service announcement would have been very helpful to Vito Labella, who's a Republican running for state Senate in Brooklyn, a seat that is very competitive, a seat that he could win. He's still something of an underdog, but he could win it. The Daily News reported on a video from just last year where Republican state Senate candidate Vito Labella is slamming Brooklyn, the borough that he is currently campaigning to represent. This is what a portion of the video says. I hate effing Brooklyn. I wish I never had to go back. He made those remarks last year about the borough he is currently seeking to represent in the state legislature. I mean, come on. You clearly don't like Brooklyn. So what are you doing? Move to Florida. Move wherever you want to move. Move to wherever suits your tastes. Don't run for office and ask the constituents of a borough that you can't stand to vote for you. I don't live in Brooklyn, but if I did, and I lived in this fellow's district, I wouldn't be voting for him. Who wants to vote for a a politician that hates their community? Not me. Hey, I want to remind you, if you haven't already done so, please make a donation to the Tunnel to Towers Walk, where our walk is coming up on Sunday. I'm looking forward to seeing many of you there, but even if you can't make it, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation does a lot of great work building homes for soldiers that are disabled and providing mortgage-free homes to the family members of fallen service members. So if you haven't already done so, please go to wabcradio.com slash walk. That's wabcradio.com slash walk. Look for my picture and make a donation. I want to thank my buddy Chuck Callahan from Plaza College. He 
made a very generous donation. So far, it is our most generous donation. So thank you, Chuck. And uh, Plaza College is a great institution, especially if you're interested in court reporting. So I appreciate Chuck, and I appreciate the institution that he represents. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Well, there are a lot of reasons to celebrate tonight or this morning, especially if you're a fan of the New York Metropolitans. After the debacle of a collapse last year where the Mets were in first place for the overwhelming majority of the season and then managed to finish the season without even having a winning record, we have seen a much better Mets team. And last night in their game against the Milwaukee Brewers, the Mets have clinched a playoff spot. Very, very exciting. I'm excited. I love our chances this year. And the fact that we played so well against the Dodgers a month or two ago and the Dodgers obviously are probably the best team in the National League right now, that goes to show that I think we're very well positioned for the playoffs. Now, part of the reason that we're so well positioned for the playoffs is because of the incredible pitching. Not only the bullpen of uh, pe- with people like Diaz in there, but also the starting pitching of guys like Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer pitched last night, and they took him out of the game after six innings. That in and of itself wouldn't be a big deal, but for the fact that Scherzer was pitching a perfect game. If you're not a baseball fan... A no-hitter is a game where you pitch all nine innings and nobody gets a hit. A perfect game is a game where you pitch all nine innings and nobody gets a hit, nobody gets a walk, nobody's hit by a pitch, and nobody reaches on an error. It's very rare. And in Met history, we've had a tough time with no-hitters. We've had a lot of great pitchers over the years. Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, Doc Gooden, David Cohn. Brett Saberhagen, the list goes on and on. Oral Hershiser, Pedro Martinez. And for 50 years, we never had a no-hitter. From 1962 until 2012, when Johan Santana pitched a no-hitter, we didn't have one. Now, we did have another one this year when three pitchers combined for a no-hitter. So that was pretty exciting, 10 years after our first one. But the Mets have never had a perfect game. And I recognize that they're concerned for Scherzer's health. And I recognize that they want to make sure that Scherzer's healthy for the playoffs and don't want to risk injuring him. But I have to tell you, I don't want to question Buck Showalter because he's done a great job with this team this season. I do wonder about the bad mojo of taking out a pitcher when he's in the midst of a perfect game. The guy had thrown only 67 pitches through six innings. He was cruising. And yet they took him out even though he'd given up no hits, no walks, and struck out nine. And now we'll always be wondering, could he have done it last night? Could he have pitched a no-hitter? Again, I'm not questioning Buck Walter, and I'm sure I'll be thankful when Max Scherzer's dominant in the playoffs. But if you're a Met fan and you've been waiting your whole life for a perfect game, you can't help but wonder if last night was a missed opportunity. Beam me up! To be continued.